Okay, so the breakout session for this one is the second coming of Christ. And I'm uh, very glad that you're here, okay? So this is a long outline. I only have right now 40 minutes. And um, I'm not going to cover every verse on here. So you have it with you to look into it some more. Uh, we'll go through the major points. Uh, so basically the way this outline is constructed concerning the second coming is we want to know why is there going to be a second coming? When is it going to occur? Where is it going to occur? What will happen at the second coming? And based on us knowing these points, ask believers today what should be our response to the second coming. Okay? Now, uh, this, you may be surprised to hear this, but the second coming of Christ is the greatest subject in the entire Bible. Amen. Okay? So, right now, we're talking about the greatest subject in the entire Bible. Okay? Amen. And uh, I want to kind of give it some relevance for you, but here's my question. It's very simple. Okay? Why... Does the Bible talk about God coming to man? Have you ever considered that before? I mean, we hear about it all the time. We read verses about it. And we know that God comes to man. Why does God come to man? If someone would ask you, hey, why does God come to man? What would you say? It's a very simple question, right? And it's at the core, the heart of the Lord's second coming. And of course, the Lord's second coming means that he had a first coming, right? And I think most of us know the Lord's first coming was about 2,000 years ago when the Lord was incarnated on the earth. That was his first coming, right? But today we want to look to his second coming, which hasn't happened yet. But back to the question, why does God come to man? When you think about that for a second, why does God come to man? Okay. <clears throat> well, let me ask you this. I want you to think right now, a person in your heart who's not here, that you really love, your mom, your grandma, your younger brother or sister, your significant other, your, your niece, your nephew, somebody that's very dear and near to you in your heart, who's not here right now. When you think of that person, what do you want to do? You want to go to them, right? When we love someone, you know what we want? We want to spend time with that person. And the Bible tells us that the object of God's heart is man. There's nothing God loves more than man. You guys all know John 3.16, right? It's the most, probably the most famous verse in all of Christianity. It says, therefore, God so loved the world. And the world is man. So, you know, I know we've all said, Lord Jesus, I love you before. But you know what the Lord says to us? He said, I so love you. That's how he feels toward us. The Lord doesn't just love us. He so loves us. You know, in Psalms 8, the psalm is there. David, not Silas. The psalmist said, David, that's a joke from last night. <clears throat> he, uh, he says, he was, he was thinking about this. David thought about this. He was trying to consider God's love for him, and he couldn't understand it. Wow. He said, um, 
I look at the stars and the works of your hand, the heavens. It's, it's so amazing. And then he does a complete 180. And he says, what is mortal man, the speck of a speck in the universe, that you remember him? You know, when God is in the third heavens and you're here on the earth, you know what God does? He remembers you. Why do we remember certain people and other people we don't remember? We only remember the people we love, right? You know what God is doing in the third heavens while we're on the earth? He remembers us. He said, oh yeah, that one, that one. And in the next verse, David says, and what is the son of man that you visit him? David just can't comprehend. I'm just a speck of a speck. Mankind is just, he's nothing compared to the universe. But that's the one God wants to visit because God loves man. And so there's a principle in the Bible that because God loves man, you know what he loves to do? He loves to come to man. You know, when I first met my wife, you know, there was a period for like a couple years when I was just starting to get to know her I, before we got married. And the more I got to know her, I really began to like her. I got more attracted to her. And eventually, all I wanted to do was to be with her. And when we started to see each other before I got married, every day, as soon as I finished campus, you know what I was thinking? I just got to go see her. I got to go see her. Because when you love someone, you just want to go to them. And the Bible is a book of what? God coming to man. Because he loves man. And if you ask God, God, what do you want? He just says, I want to come to you. To be with you. Okay? <clears throat> so the first point on here is, why is there a second coming? Why is there a second coming? Okay? There's a second coming because God wants to complete his eternal purpose. His eternal purpose is to gain a bride, a counterpart, the object of his affection and love. And the Bible tells us that as believers, we are his bride and we've been betrothed to him. And right now he is working, operating to produce the bride, right? And when he gains his bride, the Lord will come back. The second coming will occur. And I like this point because, you know, especially today in this kind of environment and climate we're in, the politics, the world situation, okay, I want you to remember none of those things will determine when the Lord comes back. The Lord, you know, it's not like, oh, the world's getting horrible. I better come back now before it's too late. No. It's not the political environment, it's not the world situation. It's not this nation, that ruler, that whatever, that's going to force the Lord's hand to come back. What brings the Lord's back is His bride. Yes. And when the Lord gains His bride, that's when He will come back. So in Revelation 19.7, here this verse says, Let us rejoice and exult, and let us give glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. So when the bride is ready, that's when the Lord comes back. So actually, the church, as the bride of Christ, will determine how much longer this world gets to exist before Christ's second coming occur. Can you believe, is, how's that? The church is the determination, right? At the center 
of everything that's going to happen to the universe is not who's in charge, what government's in charge, or what party's in charge. Okay? The center of what will determine when the Lord comes back in his second coming is when the bride is ready. Okay? Okay. Then, <clears throat> when will the second coming occur? Um, in the gospel, when the Lord was with his disciple, he spoke to them about his second coming. Here and there, he would share some parables, and they began to get the clue that the Lord is coming back. So eventually, they got curious, and they asked the Lord, when is this going to happen? And the Lord's response was, uh, you're not supposed to know. That was not his response. In fact, he began to tell them. He gave them more clues, right? So in Matthew 24, the first verse we have, says here, uh, that disciple asked him, when will these things be? And the Lord begins to tell him some things. So in the Gospels, in, in the New Testament, there are some signs that are given to us so that we would know and have an idea of when the second coming will occur. Even the Lord says in Matthew 24, 32, he says, but learn the parable from the fig tree. So even the Lord wants us to learn, to know, have some idea of when the second coming will occur. Okay, so just real quickly, I'll go through here. Some of the sign is, the first set of verses, that uh, there will be nations will rise up against nations. That represents civil wars, okay? Kingdom against kingdom, okay? Represents uh, international wars, okay? And then there will be famine and earthquakes, and usually, you know what happens after war? Famine comes in. Yeah. Okay? And so if the war didn't get you, the famine will get you. Wow. And then if the famine didn't get you, the earthquake will get you. Okay? And then the Lord says here, in the second set of verse 2432, uh, Learn from the parable of the fig tree. As soon as its branch has become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So this is a parable, and we don't have time to get into detail. This is a parable about Israel. So uh, when the Lord was on the earth, because Israel didn't produce fruit for the Lord, Israel was dried up. It was cursed and dried up. And after that, Israel became scattered for 2,000 years. Can you believe that? Okay. And in the early 1900s, something amazing happened. Israel became a nation again. And so in this parable, the Lord says, when you see Israel begin to prosper again, know that the end times are near. Okay, so uh, a lot of theologians, a lot of people who study the Bible carefully in the last century say, hey, we got to wake up because this is part of what the Lord talked about. We hadn't seen this for 2,000 years. Okay, so in the um, early 1900s, Israel became a nation. And of course, we know what happened this year. Jerusalem, Jerusalem right? So there are things stirring. Okay, so that's one of the signs. Uh, another sign is in Luke 17, the Lord says, uh, the end time will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. People will be marrying, giving in marriage. They'll be eating and drinking, selling and buying. And if you look today, that's what everybody's all about, right? That's what everybody's focused on. And the Lord says when people start to focus on these things, the end times is near. Okay? Um, and then another sign the Lord says in Matthew 20, 14, that the kingdom of the gospel will be preached in the whole inhabited earth for a testimony, then the end will come. And consider today, where can't you go? 
Where can't you take the gospel? Where can't you send a Bible? The whole world is open up. And every year, I mean, you hear a story. You know, people are going, Christian believers, missionaries. They're traveling. They're going to new places. They're preaching the gospel. They're converting people. So more and more every year, we're actually traveling to more places, bringing the gospel of the kingdom more and more, right? Okay, that's the sign of the end time. And then finally, in 2 Thessalonians, one of the biggest signs is um, what's called here the man of lawlessness. And this is the Antichrist. And so the Bible says that there will come a time when a certain person will rise up, and he is the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. And he's going to do something. He's going to bring in a peace with Israel. Okay? And when, that, and when you see that, then uh, the end time is here. Right? Seven, roughly, what, seven years to the end. Okay? So the, the New Testament gives us signs, and we are supposed to be aware and cognizant of these things. We're not supposed to be ignorant as believers. Okay? Okay. Um, <clears throat> and then... Um, the Lord's coming has two aspects, okay? There's a hidden secret aspect, and there's an open aspect, okay? And the hidden secret aspect, we don't know when that's going to occur. It's going to occur sometime before the Great Tribulation begins, but we don't know when that's going to be, okay? And then there's going to be an open aspect where the Lord's coming will be seen by everybody, and that we know exactly when it's going to occur. It's going to occur toward the end of the Great Tribulation. Okay? But the hidden aspect, the Lord likens that to His coming as a thief in the night. And you know, when a thief comes to your house, you're not supposed to know when a thief is supposed to come. And the Lord likens Himself to a thief. Have you ever, have you ever thought of calling Jesus a thief? Think about it. The Lord says, I'm going to come like a thief. And uh, when a thief comes to your house, he only steals the precious things, right? He doesn't want you to know or anybody to know he's there. And then when he comes in, he just takes the precious thing. So the Lord is going to come secretly as a thief, and he's going to take just the precious believers, the overcomers. So they'll be the one taken, and nobody will know. And before they know it, they're gone. The Lord has taken them, okay? That's, the Bible said, that's his hidden secret coming. That will start at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, okay? And then there will be an open coming toward the end of the Great Tribulation. And the Lord likens that coming to lightning that's going to shine forth from the east to the west. And everyone will see that. Everyone will know that, okay? <clears throat> okay, where, where will the second coming occur? Okay, so again, there are two aspects here. With the secret hidden com uh, coming... It's going to occur in the cloud to the air. So basically in the secret coming, right before the great tribulation, the Lord will descend from the throne of, in the third heavens to the clouds in the air. And when he comes down, he will rapture the overcomers during that time. Okay? And what would trigger, when does he come down from the throne in the third heavens to the air? Right before that happens... The man-child in Revelation 12 and the first fruit in Revelation 13 will be raptured first. And both groups will be raptured to the third heavens and Mount Zion. And after that rapture, it will trigger the Lord to come back. 
and he will descend from the third heavens to the air, and he will be clothed in a cloud. And you may say, well, what's, what's with the cloud? You remember when the Lord, in Acts chapter 1, remember after the Lord resurrected, he was with the disciples for uh, uh, about 40 days. And, and on the 40th day, he, uh, he, he ascended back to the heavens. And in Acts 1.9, it says he ascended in the cloud. He went up in the cloud. And all the disciples were standing and staring at him as, you know, he was like going up in the cloud. And the angel said, why are you guys still here? He's gone. And he said, in the same way that he went, he's going to come back. So just as he went up in the cloud, he's going to come back in the cloud. And so at, in his secret hidden coming, the Lord would come down from the third heavens. He would be clothed in a cloud that will hide him. And that hidden one is him coming as a thief. And during that time, he will rapture the overcomers. Okay? And then when that's done, and that will, and that will last from the beginning of the tribulation to the end of the great tribulation, meaning there'll be a number of believers who have, have to pass through the great tribulation before they get raptured. If they're not an early overcomer, according to the teachings in the Bible, they will pass through the great tribulation, and then the Lord will rapture them. And then when that's done, then B, there'll be the Lord will come on the cloud. Okay? And so if you look at, uh, let's see here. Um, you know, in the first one, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, it says, Then we who are living, who are left remaining, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So... When he comes in the cloud, he will rapture the believers to the air. But then if you go down to on the cloud, if you look at Matthew 24, 30, it says, And at that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the land will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the cloud. See how the Bible is very specific in how it uses the words here. So the first part is in the cloud. Here's on the cloud. So with that one, the Lord would be on the cloud, and He would descend from the air to the earth, to, to, Mount, uh, to Mount, Mount Olives, okay? And that would be toward the end of the Great Tribulation. Okay, so what's going on then? What's going on with the second coming? With both the secret and the open, with in the cloud, in the air, and then with Him coming to the earth, Okay. So, in Roman numeral 4, it says what? To fulfill the needs of three groups of people. Okay, A, to rapture the overcoming believers and give the reward of the kingdom. So, their first group is the believers. Then there's another group on the earth to save the Jews. So, his coming back will also to save the Jew, the nation of Israel. And then to judge the nations, which are the unbelievers. They are the third group. And finally, to fight against the Antichrist and his army at Armageddon. And so when the Lord comes back, when the Lord comes back, um, see here, when the Lord comes back, he's going to rapture the believers. So in Thessalonians it says, we will be caught up with him. That's to be rapture. And then all the believers will be in the air at the judgment seat of Christ. And the Lord will judge all the believers concerning their life and their conduct 
and their works. And then based on that, the Lord will give the kingdom reward, which means they will enjoy the marriage of the Lamb, and they will reign with the Lord in the kingdom for a thousand years. But for the believers who don't receive the reward, they will be disciplined for a thousand years so that they can grow during that time. The growth that they did not uh, have while they were on the earth, they would have to make that up. It will be a thousand years. Okay? So for the overcoming believers, they will receive the reward of the kingdom, during which time they will be married to the Lord. Okay? <clears throat> and then that will be, uh, bef- that will be starting from uh, right before the Great Tribulation and lasting through pretty much the Great Tribulation until right toward the end, at the end of the Great Tribulation. Then at the end of the Great Tribulation, that's the open coming when the Lord comes back. And that coming is to mainly save the Jews. And uh, during this time, the Antichrist is going to try to destroy the nation of Israel. And he's going to gather all the armies of the world. And they will all descend uh, in the Middle East area. Okay? And they're going to surround Israel. And just at the last moment, when there's no escape, when it seems all hope is gone, the Lord will descend on the cloud from the air to the earth. And he will put his foot on the olive, and it will split in half, and the Jews will be rescued and saved. And at that point, they will realize and mourn, and they will realize, oh, this is truly, Jesus is truly the Messiah, okay? So if you look at, um, let's see here, let's read, um, let's read Revelation 1-7. How about brothers in Revelation 1-7 and sisters in Zechariah 12-10? Brothers, go. Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the land will mourn over him. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they will look upon me, whom they have pierced, and then they will wail over him with wailing as for an only son, and cry bitterly over him with bitter crying as for a firstborn son. Okay, so this is when the Jews will be saved. They'll be saved at the Lord's open coming toward the end of the Great Tribulation, okay? And then finally, the last group of people that the Lord would deal with at His coming back in, is the, to judge the nations, which are the unbelievers. And in Matthew 25, it says here, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And so the Lord will also gather nation. And the sheep will go to one side, and they will enter the kingdom, and the goats will go to another side, and they will not enter the kingdom. And that, this way, the Lord will deal with every group of people on the earth, the believers, the Jews, and the unbelievers. Okay? And then finally, to fight against the Antichrist and his army. And so this is kind of an interesting point. So if you read Revelation there, it's very detailed. But it says that all the armies will uh, gather together to try to destroy Israel. And so the Lord is very wise. He's actually going to use the situation to bring up all the armies together, the entire army of the whole earth. Okay? 
And then in Revelation 19, 15, it says here, And out of his mouth proceeds a sharp sword, that with it he might smite the nations, and tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. So basically, the Lord's going to gather all the armies in this area, and it's going to be like a wine press. They're, like, they're going to be like just tiny little grapes, okay? And then the Lord's going to press, press the grapes. And so in this way, he will be able to eliminate and terminate every single army on the earth. So there will be no more war up to this, right? So in his wisdom, the Lord will arrange it so that every army will be gathered and the Lord can, in one blow, just take care of the whole situation, okay? And that would take care of everything. Okay, now I know I, I'm leaving a lot of stuff out, okay? Um, <clears throat> uh, my, my real burden tonight is really this last point. Because it's great to know all these things, right? And you can really, I mean, you can really get into this. There's... Lots of books on this topic. Um, you know, the full-timers on your campuses, if you have questions, they can pretty much answer all of it for you. Okay? Um, but as much as we know and we study this and we memorize things and so forth, what's really important is not these facts and I know this point on this verse, but what's really important is what is our response today? Amen. As believers, as those who constitute the bride of Christ, uh, what should be our response to the Lord's desire to come back the second time to complete His purpose, to gain His uh, counterpart, okay? So uh, let's read these verses together. So uh, here it says, uh, our response today, A, watch therefore, be ready. Uh, how about sisters on Matthew 24, uh, 42 and 44 here? Ready, sisters, go. Okay, so of course the first thing you notice is the Lord uh, does want us to be ready for His coming, right? This is not something that the Lord just kind of leaves it. He specifically says, watch, be ready. Watch and be ready, okay? And what does it mean to, be, to watch and be ready? Well, you, you know, a lot of times watch means to pray, so we need to pray. Um, be ready is to gain gain the Lord, but simply put, okay, to watch and be ready is to grow in life. The way for us to prepare ourselves uh, and be ready for the Lord's second coming is to grow in life. It's not to study all the political environment and uh, what's going on with Jerusalem and what's going on with the politics. That's not what the Lord meant by watch and be ready. What He means by watch and be ready is that we should grow in life. It is our growing in life that allows us to watch and be ready for the Lord's second coming. So as believers, our concern, our, our desire is that we as believers should enjoy the Lord, be filled with Him, uh, come together, uh, not just for ourselves, but to help one another grow in life so that we can watch and be ready for the Lord's second coming. Okay? And then in B, it says, eagerly awaiting. How about brothers in Hebrews 9.28? So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time to those who eagerly await him, 
apart from sin unto salvation. Okay, you know, um, when I was, when I was uh, uh, younger, uh, when I first met the brothers, and I heard about the Lord's second coming, uh, I wasn't too excited about it. Uh, I think I realized, okay, this thing is for real. It's going to happen. Uh, but I was not eagerly awaiting it, right? I was like, well, I kind of want to live my life before this happens, you know? I mean, like, what if the Lord comes back next year? Like, I won't even get to be married and have kids. Like, what a bummer, you know? I'm going to miss all that out. Um, so I don't know if any of you have had those, that kind of thought before. Um, but, you know, I kind of like, you know, I like, can we just kind of push it off for a little bit here? Uh, but the Bible says that what should our attitude be? We should be eagerly, not just wait for it, eagerly awaiting, eagerly awaiting. And uh, what does it mean to wait on something, eagerly? You know, let's say if, uh, let's say if, you know, Paul is going to come visit him next week, but he's not here yet. So I'm like, Paul, where are you? You know, are you coming? When are you getting here? I'm eagerly awaiting him. Okay, what it means to eagerly wait is to hope. Practically, it means to hope. I'm hoping he's getting here. I'm saying, oh, I'm at my one. I hope Paul gets here soon. So to eagerly wait here is to set our hope on the Lord, not on anything else, not on any human things, not on our careers, our families, our education, our 401ks. That's not what we set our hope on. Okay? What we're waiting for eagerly is the Lord's second coming. We set our hope on the Lord Jesus and nothing else. Okay? And then, uh, <clears throat> see here, it says, love his appearing. Let's all read this together. 2 Timothy 4, 8, go. So, you know, uh, okay, so another story. When I was young and I heard about the Lord's second appearing, I didn't think about, you know, he's coming back for his bride. He's going to set up the kingdom. Uh, my bridegroom is here. The person who loves me is finally coming to see me. I wasn't thinking about that, you know. You know what I was thinking about? The, yeah, being judged. Yeah. I was thinking about the judgment seat of Christ. And I thought, I'm probably going to fail that one. And so in my heart, uh, I was not loving his appearing. I was quite, I was quite scared, you know. I remember there, I remember that I joked about us. Yeah, if the Lord comes back now, I am not ready, you know. I'm in trouble if the Lord comes back now, right? But the Bible said that shouldn't be our attitude, you know. We should not uh, be in a, a certain kind of condition, uh, living a certain way, being a certain kind of believers, so that it would cause us to not love His appearing. If we don't love His appearing... If, if, if when I'm thinking of the Lord's second coming and there's not, oh, I, I, I'm just filled with love. I just love, I just, I want that to happen. If that's not what's going on in our heart, then that should tell us that my walk right now is somehow off. Okay? Because according to the Bible, um, I should love his appearing. And so, um, how is it that as a believer today, uh, knowing that the Lord would come back and He's going to judge me, what kind of life, what kind of person, what kind of experience am I going to have today that will cause me to have that kind of reaction? Okay? 
So it's a, I mean, to me, it's a real check for us, right? But, you know, we have to consider how, how is it am I supposed to be and live that would produce in me, not a fake response, but when I consider the Lord's second coming and standing for the judgment seat of God, looking at my bridegroom and knowing that, uh, how did uh, Trevor put it this morning? The, uh, the x-ray, the full body x-ray, when the Lord does the full body x-ray, that I'm not going to be filled with fear, right, and anxiety, but there would be a love there, right? Loving his, second, loving his appearing, okay? And of course, uh, I think that kind of ties in with the next point, <laughs> uh, purifying ourselves. And so the way to love his appearing is we need to live a life that's pure, right? That causes us to be purified. Um, <clears throat> and so 1 John 3, 3 says, And everyone who has this hope, this hope here is the hope of Christ coming back, eagerly awaiting him, this hope set on him, purifies himself even as he is pure okay so the way we purify ourselves is we need to gain the pure one right that's the secret if we want to be purified today we need to gain the pure one today if we want to have the kind of life and the living that is that causes us to love his appearing we need to gain the pure one we need to gain him personally and we need to help each other gain him corporately, okay? And then in point E, um, <clears throat> it says here, hastening his return. Let's all read this together, 2 Peter 3.12. Okay, so, um, okay, so when the Lord is on the earth, he says, you know, the disciple says, when are you coming back? And the Lord says, I don't know. Only the Father knows. Even I don't know. So, listen, right now, in the third heavens, God the Father has already set a time that He's going to come back. Nobody knows what that day is. It's already set. Okay? It's, gonna, it's already set. But based on 2 Peter 3, Peter says, but you can change that date. Look what it says here. Expecting and hastening. You can cause that date to happen earlier. God's already set a date, but He's allowing us to change that date. The believers have a direct effect on when the second coming will occur. Not the politicians. Not these nations, not somebody's agenda, but the believers on the earth are going to determine, even hasten, the coming day of the Lord. It is up to us. Okay? What does that mean? That means our lives should be lived uh, with the understanding that it is to affect the coming of the Lord. That's why we're here on earth today. Why are you uh, trying to gain the Lord? Why are we enjoying Him? Why are we eating and drinking Him? Why do we want to have a vision of Christ? So that we can, what? Hasten the coming day of the Lord. Everything is for this. Okay? 
Our gaining Christ today is not just so that we can grow and be transformed and be a better person. Yes, that will happen. But those things are really for one thing. To hasten. Can you believe that? We can hasten the coming day of the Lord. Amen. Pretty incredible, right? Okay. And so based on all this, and this is how the Bible ends. This is Revelation 22. We are on the last page. This is the last paragraph of the Bible. Okay. Let's all read this together. Revelation 22, 20. Ready? Go. Yes, I come quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. What should our attitude be? What should our prayers be? What should our response be? You know how the Bible ends? It ends with God saying, I want to come back. See, this is Revelation 22, 22:20. He would testify these things and say, yes, I come quickly. I mean, that's, he wants to come back. He said, I'm come, I will come quickly. That's how the Bible ends. The Bible ends with God saying, hey, hey, I want to come to you. I love you. You're my bride. I want to be with you. Don't keep me in the third heavens. Okay? I'm, I'm with you in your spirit right now, but I'm not physically with you. You know, the Lord's with us today in our spirit, but he's not with us physically. He wants to be not just with us spiritually, but he wants to be with us physically. That means we get all of him. Okay? So the Lord's like, look, I want to come. And then the response? Yes. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Okay. So I'll end with um, these verses here in Matthew 25. And uh, James 4, 8. <laughs> I never use James, but this one time. Okay. Okay, the subject of the Bible is the coming of Christ. That's what God wants. From the beginning, from Genesis 1, all the way to Revelation 2. If someone asks you, what is the main subject of the Bible? It's God wants to come to man. Okay, God wants to come to man. Okay, and that's how the Bible ends. It will end with the New Jerusalem coming down to earth. God's coming, okay? All right. <clears throat> but every day, that's going to be the great coming, okay? The second coming of Christ is the end of, it's the mother of all coming, right? Whatever they say, right? It's, it's the final. There's not another coming after that, okay? Okay? For the second coming of Christ to happen, we need to live a life of every day where the Lord is actually coming to us. Don't think the second coming is going to happen sometime in the future. It will. But it needs to happen right now. It needs to happen today. And if there's tomorrow, it needs to happen tomorrow. And let me explain that. In Matthew 25, 1 and 6 there, this is a parable in the Lord's second coming, okay? In verse 1 it says, At that time, the kingdom of the heavens would be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Okay? That's verse 1. Then verse 6, that's before the Lord's coming, okay? So that's us today. Then verse 6 is the Lord's second coming. But at midnight there was a cry, Behold, the bridegroom. That's the Lord's coming. Behold, the bridegroom. Go forth to meet him. Okay. In the Greek, you see the, there's a word meet there in verse 1, right? It says there, go, went forth to meet the bridegroom. 
in the Greek, that word is different from the other meat. Go forth to meet him. Okay? In English, we translate both the word as meat. But when you go to the Greek and ask your full-timer when you go back to where you are, they can tell you. The first meat is a private, secret, personal meat. And the second meat is the open, public, public ceremony meeting. Okay, so what does that mean? That means if we are to participate in the second meet, go forth to meet him, you know what we need today? The private, secret, intimate meeting with the Lord. Right? Listen, there's going to come a time when the Lord comes back, it's an open meeting, and all the believers will meet him. That's in verse 6. But before that happens, what is the bridegroom, the bride supposed to do today? The virgins, right? They're supposed to meet him. And in the Greek, it's amazing, in the New Testament, in the Greek, that word there is different. That word is a private, intimate, secret meeting. That means every day we should be meeting with the Lord, right? Before the Lord comes to meet us, we should be meeting with him. And you know what James says? When we start to meet with the Lord, when we draw near to God, you know what he does? He draws near to us. So as soon as we make motion to meet him, guess who's coming to meet us? The Lord does. Right? It's, it doesn't say we need to go to him. It just says draw near. As soon as we start drawing near to God, God starts to draw near to us. So actually today, as believers, we should spend our lives meeting, coming to the Lord. That's how we are preparing for his second coming. Is every day, even right now, and tonight, and tomorrow, we should have the thought, Lord, I want to come to you. Listen, when you open the Word to read, that's not just reading your Bible. You have to realize, I'm coming to the Lord right now. When you're praying, it's not just petitioning and ask for things. You have to realize, I'm coming to the Lord right now. When, you're with, uh, when we're with the other uh, believers in a meeting, it's not just, I'm coming to the meeting, but actually, I'm coming to the Lord. And in those times, guess what's going on? The Lord is coming to us. And it's through these experiences that eventually will prepare us for the Lord's second coming. You know, um, um, when this happens, and I'm going to end with this last sentence, when this happens, you know, today when we experience these things, the Lord comes to us, there's a certain feeling, a certain joy and sensation, you know what I mean? And over our life, we'll know what that's like. You're like, yeah, that's the Lord coming to me. I sense it. I was, I was reading the Word today, and I felt it. The Lord came to me. And you do that over and over again, so that when the Lord's second coming comes back, you go, it's exactly the same. There's no difference. What I experienced for the last few decades, when the Lord's second coming, Lord, this feels, you're, you're the person that's been coming to you all along. You see that? Okay, so... The Lord's second coming is just not a topic or a subject we should dive into, but it should be the way we should live our life today. Amen. Every day coming to Him so that He'll come to us. Okay? All right. Thank you.